Welcome back to the Play On Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Bailey. At the end of March of 2017, the Ashland New Plays Festival hosted a reading of Octavio Solis' work on Edward III. I was able to sit down with Octavio and with his dramaturg Kimberly Colburn while they were in town for the reading. I'm Octavio Solis, and uh, I'm here translating Edward III. I'm Kimberly Colburn, and I'm the dramaturg for him. Oh, wonderful. So you guys are both here for the uh, the week-long sort of workshop and then a, a reading of Edward III with Ashland New Plays Festival. Yeah. Um, so Octavio, I'm curious, how, how's the week been? What's it like been in the room? Well, it's been, it's been very, it's been really wonderful because I've never heard this except out of my own lips. I, I've, I've been saying the lines to myself all the time as I've been working on this. Uh, and when I finished it in early February, February, I kind of put it out of mind as I sent it off. But now uh, coming into the room and hearing all these new voices doing it, it's really helpful to have serious pros, people who have been doing Shakespeare for a while, for whom all these things um, that are brought up in the play are, are, are so familiar. They already know the history plays. They know where Shakespeare did his research for all this. Um, and, and I think they bring their own healthy dose of skepticism about it. So it really is nice to sort of get the validation that, hey, you know, Octavio, this is, this is kind of working. I'm really hearing that from everybody um, about how clear it is and how it still feels like it's, it's in one voice, like it's really happening in one voice. Um, and considering that this play, uh, the provenance of this play has just been... The, its authorship has been in question. That has been Shakespeare and someone else, Thomas Kidd, Christopher Marlowe, all the, and, and now to throw my voice in the mix to try to bring all this and make it feel like it's really still one voice coming through, is uh, to hear that from the from the company is really gratifying. I feel like somehow you um, have become mystical and now you are a medium for all of those people and are, are channeling it uh, because I'm very familiar with your work and I've read a lot of your plays and one of the things that I think is a hallmark of Octavio Solis is the incredible poetry in it, uh, but it's, it's absolutely very different than Shakespearean poetry naturally and yet, uh, and so it's such an interesting thing to see the complete blend of it and in some cases I think you've really, you really, um, not only captured the spirit of what Shakespeare wanted, but added your expertise of a long career to a play when he was just beginning his career to create something that's even more beautiful. I, 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 that was the aim. So thank you. I think, I think that's really what I was trying to do, is trying to bring the Shakespeare who wrote the later plays where he was in full complete, complete mastery of his craft uh, and full control of it, and bring it to bear on this work, which still, to me, feels like an early work of his. And you actually totally just answered a question I was hoping to ask, which was I wanted to ask you what you thought made Octavio a, a good um, a good candidate for for this job for for this particular commission, um, which I think was what yeah. you just answered beautifully. Well, I definitely think not only not only the poetry, but the thing that um, is so striking to me is your deep knowledge and love and respect for Shakespeare, um, which is certainly not something we. You remember that initial <laughs> phone call? <laughs> yes. And you were like, "Do you want to work on this?" And I was like, "Well, 
I don't think that you want me to work on this uh, because I brought none of that to the table. Like the my participation in this is as the fresh audience member and somebody who doesn't have that long relationship um, and understanding and knowledge base. I serve I serve as sort of the tin ear of like, well, that tripped me up or that doesn't make sense to me. Um, the, what does that word mean? Like, I have a fairly large vocabulary, and that I don't think people use that. I haven't come across that. Maybe you might want to think about that kind of thing. Um, like and the word, like the word "won't," uh, w yeah. or "want," or however people pronounce it. Oh yeah, W O yeah. N T. Which uh, if you if you do a lot of Shakespeare, you know it because it right. comes up in all his work, which means habit. Basically, just means habit, mm -hmm. uh, um, or what's customary. Um, but we don't use that at all in our vocabulary anymore. And if you'd use it, it's gonna it's gonna seem like the contraction of will not. Yep. It yeah. just will always seem that way. And things like that that just really trip you up. And I, you know, I think that your time as an actor and your love of the language is really helpful too. Um, because when you send me when you send me pieces and I read it out loud, <laughs> then I really l lower that bar. Yeah. <laughs> so that so what do you so Octavia, do you do you agree? Is that what what made you think that that uh, Kimberly would be an excellent um, choice of someone to work with on this project? Well, because I, I I like her dramaturgical attention to the work and her respect for the writer's. Uh, uh, craft. E even when the writer isn't sure what he or she's doing, she kind of gives the writer the benefit of the doubt. Like, you're working something out, but so I'm going to trust you in that. And she's got a light touch. She's got a really light touch. She's not she's, she's not uh, the kind of dramaturg that really gets in the weeds too much and starts working with the machinery inside, unless that's what the writer would like her to do. She just is on the outside, so, you know, watching the writer uh, do the work and then will offer a view that uh, that we might not have had, mm -hmm. a perspective that we might not have had that, go, that makes us go, oh, 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 yes, of course. So I thought she was, like, ideal for this. Well, I think uh, talking... And, and, and also, I, I've been very interested in, in trying to kind of bridge... Uh, this, this span between the OSF and South Coast Repertory because I've had a long relationship that, that goes back to 1988-89 with South Coast Rep that continues to this day. And, uh, and I think of it as one artistic home and then I think of OSF as my other artistic home and I just want to, I, I want to create a, a kind of... Um, open channels of communication and collaboration between these two companies. And when this arose and, and they asked me, uh, who would you like, you get to pick your dramaturg, I immediately said, I have to bring in someone from SER because they're my artistic home and they trust me. And, uh, and how cool would it be to bring, to involve Kimberly with the OSF? And I think that um, to add to that, uh, I think that the direction of OSF has there, we've found so many pathways and ways in which we appreciate similar things because SER is definitely, while we do new plays and not so much with the Shakespeare, um, there's an appreciation of language, um, craft, and theatricality. And we sort of, 
actually share the same value system mm -hmm. as OSF uh, in a way that I think is bearing out. Just look at last season's Viet Gone, which was an SER commission. Right. And then um, this season that is just announced, Destiny of Desire, right. is coming to it's OSF, coming which we just did yeah. last season um, yeah. at SER. So there's, there's already starting to be so many more confluences um, in ways that I think are really exciting. Yeah. So speaking of dramaturgs, I feel like I, you know, you, you end up in your little theater bubble. And and so I end up, you know, just saying dramaturg in conversation with, with people who are not theater people. And they're like, you know, drama, who, who what now? Like, what are you saying? And so I'm curious about what does dramaturg mean for this particular project, how do you interpret that? And that could be both of you. Like, what what do you see your um, definition of that role being on this particular project? Hmm. Well, for me, a, a dramaturg is someone who keeps me honest. Someone who will say, oh, come on, Octavio, you're being way too precious. You think you can skate by just leaving that line as is. I think <laughs> nope. you can. I think you can look at it because it just looks, it seems... Now it seems archaic to me compared to everything else. Uh, but it's also honest in a different way. Like, um, you didn't quite nail the meaning of that line as well. I think you need to go back. Uh, and But also it means validation. She, uh, uh, Kimberly is very good about like saying, wow, that's actually a really good way of saying what Shakespeare said, but in your own words, and still matching meter, and still making it rhyme. Uh, and she will say, you actually did it better than it was before. You actually improved on it. And that, I, you know, it just is so encouraging because I go into these murky waters, uh, sometimes feeling like I'm so inadequate to the task. And when my own dramaturg says, wow, that's even better than it was before, I, it, it's just that that validation pushes me through and makes take gives me confidence to continue on that. I feel like that was a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, because I, I was just thinking about like, oh, I have the elevator speech because, mm -hmm. you know, uh, that's what I do. So I frequently am at the cocktail party and someone's like, what is that? <laughs> um, and they may if it's, you know, not theater people and um I always say it's my job. It's my job to help everyone else do their jobs better um, from both the artist and the audience perspective. So I'm there to help the artists do what they know what they want to do and to achieve those aims, um, but also as an audience to understand it, to help contextualize it if it needs contextualizing, um, work with even the marketing team to present it correctly, to make sure that tonally the audience knows what to expect, that the poster art matches the themes of the show, that the program notes accurately set you up to view the show and just sort of, it's just sort of... Um, the best thing about it is it's a macro view and a micro view at one mm -hmm. time because not only am I looking at the macro view to make sure that everything is coherent in a way that's slightly different than a director. Like the director's job is certainly to present the show, but a dramaturg's job is just a little bit outside of that in my opinion. Um, 
but then also when working with a playwright to have the absolute micro view. Um, I can't tell you how many arguments I've had about comma placement or word choice mm -hmm. or like very serious, very serious conversations that will last some great length of time. Uh, you know, that uh, is it gonna fundamentally change things? Probably not, and yet it's still very important to the creation um, and, has re and has resonance across the whole piece, you know? She's really, really smart. Uh, I, I, that that well, really sometimes. helps. That helps. She's she's extraordinarily intelligent, but she's also just smart in 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 um, in uh, a kind of just gut level. She's just ha you just bring your smarts to the table, and and when it comes into the room, when it comes into play, it's it's very satisfying because I totally trust it. I completely trust it, and and it's easy to then uh, work with that. Well, and likewise, I have a lot of genius to work with. <laughs> no. Well, we have a lot of genius to work with. <laughs> there you go. In Shakespeare. There you go. Um, but I'll tell you, it, it really, I, I couldn't wait to, to have her in, uh, back, back in town in the room for this. Because I feel like, I, I feel the love from the company now. But initially, you know, there was even an actor uh, who said, you know, Octavio, I, I have to keep my feelings about play on separately from my feelings uh, from from the work I from the work I do, and I wanted to do this work because I love you and I love your plays and I would I'm always there for you, uh, and I went whoa whoa wait 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 whoa let's rewind this what do you mean your feelings about playing well I have some misgivings about the the project itself and and I think a lot of people in the company do too but this is completely different than what I expected this is fun <laughs> this is actually fun and now. When we have a question about the text, we actually can turn to the playwright and go, so what did you mean here? Or what does Shakespeare mean here? And, and I feel like I can answer that question on some level because I've been collaborating with the dead man. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, like I, I am hearing his voice in this. And I can speak with, the, with some authority, not complete authority, but I, I can say, I think he meant this. I mean, I'm interpreting it. I'm meaning this. But I think it's based on his. And if ever there's a problem, if ever we got kind of stuck on something like about the meaning, I would always go to the original and go, oh, you know what he did? Because I, I, I will forget uh, what he, the original line was. And then I will look at it and then discover that actually I'm saying exactly what he said. Uh, I'm not reinterpreting it at all. So I think it's okay. So, so I think I, you can trust me on this. Uh, other times it's like an actor will bring up something and says, you know, what you've got here is this, but what he has there is that. And you look at it and it looks the same, but they're really two different things, Octavio. Do you want me to do this? Do you want me to do that? And I'm going, hmm, you know what? I think I need to look at his again. Give me some time and let me rewrite that line. And it was, of course, it had to be, of course, the end of a speech uh, and it had, so not only does it have to be an iambic pentameter, it has to rhyme. <laughs> so now I've, and, and, and the end word is now different, so now I have to think of a new line. And I did it inside, inside almost an hour. And when I read, I have a new line, I read it, everybody went, whoa, whoa, yeah. that's, dude, that's awesome. And I kind of, and I kind of went, well, okay, cool. You have to channel him. You really do have to channel him in order to really honestly um, um, take on this task. There is a kind of uh, channeling his, his, his own thinking, his own mind, his own heart in, in the work. I think last year I, I was sitting down and 
discussing the work with um, Ellen McLaughlin, who was translating Pericles. And the thing that stood out to me about the way she talked about the work was the way she talked about Shakespeare. Like, I'd never heard anyone talk about him in this way that was so familiar. And that, you know, she was just like, I just felt like he, in this moment, like this was going through his head and he was trying to do this. And I was like, wow, I've never, I just feel like in most conversations when we're talking about Shakespeare, there's this sort of like, he's like this deity almost. And so to bring him down to this level of like, Playwright. I, and I think that's one of the amazing fringe benefits of this entire program and process is the fact that, particularly in America, um, people put Shakespeare on a pedestal, not to not only not to be messed with, but not to be interpreted and not to be, you know, in a way that is um, not doing a service to the Shakespeare and also inhibiting the growth and evolution and theatrical form and experimentation. And um, I think that Shakespeare has a lot to say and a lot to contribute to modern day. And if we isolate him and silo and deify, we're just not going to be able to hear what he's really saying because grappling grappling with that text and making him familiar and channeling his energies uh, is the way in which we can learn from our own history. Like, like it turns out that this guy 400 and however many years ago has something to say and speaks to our modern era in such a way that um, can have deep impact. I mean... Yeah. Yeah, you know, one, one thing is, as I've been working on the text that I discovered, is that he cheats. He cheats on his own iambic pentameter. He'll have nine lines and sometimes 11 lines and sometimes even, I mean, nine syllables and sometimes 11, and not just the requisite 10. Sometimes he'll even add, tw it'll be 12 syllables. Yeah. It'll just go on. Mm -hmm. And he just goes, ah, but I need all that to fit in right away and I don't want another sense. <laughs> ah. No one will notice, no one will notice. Uh, or he'll 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 cheat in a way that's really elegant. He'll have nine syllables in one line, and the next one has eleven. So as a couplet, <laughs> it still come up to twenty. Uh -huh. It still add up to twenty, mm -hmm. and that means you have to say it as if it's flowing, and then you won't notice that the line isn't purely iambic pentameter. And sometimes I feel he gets lazy. He just, he just gets lazy. He just goes. Like, uh, it's not gonna work. Just uh, fine. Yeah, fine. Well, and fine. for Ted, you know that that was his first go round, and you know Prob he was figuring it out. It, it was probably his first history play. Mm. If, I think the 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 date that I, that I, the in the research I've done indicates that it was written around fifteen ninety, which makes it really early. Yeah. In 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 his development as a writer, um, uh, and he's trying to cram all this history, because I've done all the, I, I, I've done not all the research, but I've done some research on some of the events in the play, and, and, and to my surprise, he made very little of it up. Um, there's even at the end that uh, Sir John Copeland is the one who captured King David and refused to turn him over to the queen. Instead, he says, I want to turn him over myself to the king. And the queen is furious at him, and indeed he did present him this prisoner. Here, look what I got. Because he wanted to, A, meet the king. Yeah, uh, and get the gold star himself. Get the gold star himself. And in fact, he got knighted because of it. Mm -hmm. And all that was true. Yeah. And, but it's tacked on at the, at the end and it becomes its own sort of beat. Uh, because I think he was, he, he just wanted to put all that history, all those events from, that he was studying into this one play. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it doesn't have a kind of elegance, a kind of purity, a, 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 them, a thematic purity. Um, 
But there are some themes that that that, he, that are consistently played out through the play that I've discovered that make me feel like, oh, this is not two voices. This is one writer. Mm. This is one writer working yeah. on this. It really I does so feel too. it does feel that that way. And in and in this play, it's about oaths and promises. There's all through the play, everyone makes a promise, makes an oath, and then has to live with that. Has to either decide, do I keep my promise or do I not? Um, and and what is the value of that? What is the what is the value of your word, your word of honor, or your allegiance to your country? Which is stronger, your allegiance to yourself or your allegiance to the country? Um, can they be the same thing? Uh, can they be at odds? And when they're at odds, what what then? Um, um, super, which one supersedes the other? So it's a so those those themes I think were were the ones I kind of punched up a little bit in, in this work. But but uh, but very little because they were already kind of present. I was gonna say punching up is almost inaccurate. It's more like um, the word choices clarifying. Yeah. So yeah. it was because it was there, but it was it was murky because it was it was sort of behind this shadow of distancing language. Yeah. And you just sort of pulled the curtain back and was like, no no, see it's right here. Mm. That's a lovely way to put it. That's exactly right. <laughs> so when you encounter these moments in the text where you find there are more or less syllables than you're expecting in the line, what do you feel like your responsibility is in that moment? Like, is it to, are you attempting to bring him in order and say, no, we're going to have 10 syllables here? Or are you trying to match what was presented to you? Uh, well, uh, that depends. Sometimes... Um, sometimes if, if, if he can cheat, so can I. Yeah. And I don't often cheat sometimes even in the same place. I, I, I just feel like, well, if he can do it, then I can do it. And if nobody will notice this, it'll be all right. <laughs> uh, but, but in this case with, with, in this rehearsal process, I've been called on a few things. Oh, it's like, of course. you know, this thing doesn't, doesn't scan. So, um, I'm having some problems with it. Oh, and yeah. I go, hmm, okay. You know, you've got those actors sitting there going, ba 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 Like, and, and, and. He made it work before, but now he's struggling with it. So I said, well, let me look at it. And I go, you know, I think I thought I could skate by. And it's an actor who, in the whole process, hasn't made a, a, a peep about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when he brings it up, I think it matters. Right. Uh, because he's doing it, it you know, he really he really is in earnest about it. And but it, But he's also in front of everyone else doing it so that I feel like I'm not going to ignore it. I'm going to see if I can address it. Uh, and in a longer rehearsal process, I think everyone else would be encouraged to try to find that. Um, but then I would always go back to the original and go, well, does Shakespeare scan in that, right? Is that right? Mm-hmm. So then I, I, I did fix it. And I was quite happy with the fix. And he was happy with the fix. Because now it's like, oh, it, then it works. Then in another case, uh, an actor has just said it and trusted it, but I didn't like it. I feel like I could make it scan the way it, the original scanned. And so I went back to it and, and, and fixed it. And I have that note to give him today. And he'll adjust. It'll be really simple. So sometimes it depends on the circumstances. Sometimes I feel compelled to, to fix it. Uh, and other times I feel like, well, maybe there's a reason why. And I will try to examine it from an actor or a character point of view and try to look at it that way. But I have my own internal rhythms too. It's remarkable, like, you know, I was, I was amazed at, at how little we speak in iambic pentameter in real life. <laughs> we don't. And my, uh, my natural rhythm is actually anapestic. It's mm-hmm. weak, weak, strong, weak, weak, strong. That's, that's usually how, how I go. 
um, how I go. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and so sometimes some of the lines feel more like, like they add up that way. It's, it's, it's a uh, weak, weak, strong, weak, weak, strong, weak, strong, weak, strong. So mm, it still adds yeah. up to 10. But by and large, I try to stick with, with his. And, and sometimes I, I was really I found it curious how, how he cheated. Sometimes to, in, in adding a character's name to, in, in, within the, the framework of a single line, he would say Lodovic. So he would, he would use his whole name. So it would be bum, 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 three, three syllables. But sometimes in order to fit it in, he'd say Ludwig. Ludwig. Ah. So it would be two syllables. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it, it, he wanted to fit the word escape, but it didn't scan. So he cut off S. So it would just be escape. We're going to escape this way. Yep. yep. We, and I thought, well, come on, dude. I feel like that's why he calls him Ned, the prince. Yeah. <laughs> it was Ned. just to, just to have some options to say yeah. it. Yeah, instead of always Edward or my son or whatever. Yeah. But um, so it's good to have Ned because then you can just say Ned. Da, da, da. And so Ned, there was something else I was going to say that I found really, uh, really interesting about, about his scansion. Oh, I was going to say that he'd never had... Uh, he didn't have what we have today, online dictionaries, online thesaurus, yeah. like in syn- thesaurus.com, synonyms, uh, and, and hundreds more words in our vocabulary today, uh, well, well, actually thousands more words in the English vocabulary today that didn't exist in his day. Mm-hmm. So he, did, he, he, he was only working with beautiful flowering language, but which, which had a, a limited uh, um, lexicon. Uh, that we've added to in 400 years, 500 years, we've added so much more. Well, he added to, to too, at the time. Yeah, he could, because he didn't have a thesaurus, or he didn't have, the OED came, like, well after he died. That was, in, that was formulated well after he died. Um, he just made up the word. And that's his genius. He just made up compound words where yeah. he needed them, or he just kind of created the word because he didn't, he, it, A, he needed to scan, B, it had to be had to have the have the, it had to have the right sound, and so so many times in in, in the book mm-hmm. that that you got me, mm-hmm. when I would look up in, in the annotations at the back, it would say first recorded use of this word in English, first recorded written use of this word mm-hmm. ever. And uh, so many times in this early one, yeah. imagine in all the other Shakespeare oh, right. volumes, it's just amazing, so. I have the benefit of, of having Roger's thesaurus and a dictionary there, uh, as well as all the resources you can find online, and a dramaturg <laughs> at that, uh, and people who know Shakespeare. I was going to say, if anything, mm-hmm. I think I'm a limiting force, because I'm like, I don't think, I know this is a word, but I don't think this is modern usage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what I, that's, that's yeah. you, that, I need that. Yeah. That's yeah. really valuable. Well, I would love to keep talking forever and ever, but I do think we should bring it to a little bit of a close. So I'm curious because you're both so busy. You both have so much going on. And so I'm just curious if uh, just to find out what else you're working on right now. Uh, well, I'm working on a project for SER that I've just started finally clearing my plate so that I can address it. Uh, and it's Woohoo, a, good job. I know. <laughs> uh, and it's for Crossroads, a project that SCR has uh, conducted with several writers in, uh, in their building. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a project that I've always wanted to do involving flamenco. I like flamenco. I love the form. I love the mu- both the music and the dance form. It's so theatrical. 
it's really beautifully theatrical and I want to create a piece that involves dancing, a, a lot of mm. flamenco. It wouldn't be a musical and in fact it's about, uh, it, it is uh, 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 about the confluence, the, the intersection between Latino culture and Arabic culture, between Latino Catholic, uh, Mexican orientation uh, in America and Muslim, the Muslim world. Mm. Because wow. because uh, I feel like we need to we need to deal with that we need to find out where where these these cultures intersect in order to bring them to bring uh, uh, American Muslims into the fold so that they're not pushed away and uh, they're brought into America more. And you've been working on this for a while. It's a not little a, bit, it's not yeah. a recent it's not a no. recent invention. So no, I have been over the last two years, quietly tinkering here and there with it. Um, but then I've also got a reading coming up next month of Mother Road, uh, oh, which is which I worked with at the Steinbeck Center, which is based on, uh, it's sort of an offshoot of The Grapes of Wrath. And uh, I've, I've had a number of readings with it, and even a workshop production, but I haven't had a production of, a full production of that play yet. I kind of shelved it, uh, quietly kept it uh, at bay, and I've had a lot of uh, offers from small companies and large companies to produce it, but I... Just haven't been ready to look at it. I just needed to gestate a little bit more. But uh, when this opportunity came to do it for LPP, LPP? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I said, all right, time to bring it out. Yeah. Bring it out. It's been a year and a half that I've had it in mothballs. Um, <laughs> so it's time to, to bring it out and, and work on it again. Nice. That's great. So those, those two are the things that the, at the, on, on the, on the, uh, on the menu. Um, and I'm about a month out from a festival uh, at South Coast Rep that I'm the co-director of, the Pacific Playwrights Festival, which is a celebration of new plays. We have a mix of readings and full productions. Um, this year, to celebrate our 20th, we have uh, three full productions and four readings. Um, and so it's a lot of organization, a lot of prep for one weekend of fun. Um, and we're also publishing an anthology um, highlights from the last 10 years of six different plays. Um, wow. And we bring in... I know! Wow. And Octavia's is going to be there, so we get to hang out more, um, which will be super fun. Uh, and one of the uh, right, other writers from Play On is having a work there. That's true. One of the other writers from Play On, um, Amy Freed, who's working on Taming of the Shrew, she was so inspired that uh, she took her she took her piece and went beyond the scope of the play on translation project and uh, began to really tinker with it. And the result is a wonderful play called Shrew! Exclamation point. I love it. We love um, exclamation point. Shrew! Shrew! <laughs> <laughs> um, and that is actually the reading that is going to open our festival April 21st to 23rd. If you happen to find yourselves in Orange County, California, come on down. That's it for today. Thanks for listening to the Play On Podcast. A special thank you to Octavio and Kimberly for sitting down and chatting with me. The Play On Podcast is produced at the Oregon Shakespeare Festival by myself and recorded and edited by Saibi Kalsa. OSF's artistic director is Bill Rausch, and our executive director is Cynthia Ryder. Play On is directed by Dr. Louis Douthit and supported by a generous grant from the Hits Foundation. I'm Play On's assistant director, Taylor Bailey, and thanks for listening. Thank you.